Evening, everybody. It's so nice to be here. Um, nice to be here in person. I've spoken to you guys twice on Zoom this year. I'm glad to return and discover that Blueprint is just as dysfunctional and rugged as it was today, um, which is, is just just beautiful. Um, I don't I don't know how many of you guys know, but um, Anna and I are actually pregnant. So my, um, she is like a totally different person. Um, Anna is normally very health conscious. At the moment, she is not. Um, I, I came home a couple of weeks ago, and there was a pot on the stove with custard residue in it. Um, and I said, Anna, what have you been up to? She's like, I made us both pudding, and then I ate both. <laughs> so this is kind of like the, our lives at the moment. Um, but um, baby's due late October, and hopefully not earlier, because Blueprint camped. Um, um, <laughs> Cool. Well, it's been yeah, cool day. Basically, uh, a thing that I get to do this year is once every four or five weeks get to hang um, at Brooklyn at our community at 9.30 and then race over to Lyle Bay for 10.40 and then come do this in the evening. So I sort of get to hang out with everybody and it's really special to see how the DNA of this place is consistent across those different places. There's a really beautiful baby dedication this morning at Lyle Bay of um, a little kid named Noah um, who is... Um, uh, his, his mum, it's part of House of Grace that Eddie and Jamie run who used to come here. It's a really, really beautiful time. So, um, yeah, you're Jerome, mate. Yeah, yeah hey. I've heard about you. People send me pictures. Um, <laughs> play the drums, right? Yeah, cool. All right. I know everything about all of you. You're new here, I know it already. Um, Rose sends me updates. Um, I am stoked to know that Elaine has finally left Blueprint. Um, it's been, um, yeah, good to see some things have improved. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about how we love everybody. Um, and the um, so the fivefold ministry um, is this thing that comes up in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. You know this, fivefold ministry? All right, good. Um, and so it goes like this, the scripture. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this thing is introduced the fivefold ministry, which is these different roles that we are each given in the church. Um, and the five that we are given are these roles of apostles, pastors, evangelists, prophets, and teachers. And over the next few weeks, the next five weeks, we're going to hear about a different one of those roles. Um, and then Ephesians 4, I think it's really important, and it said this at the start of your seasonal guide, for those of you who are in the seasonal guide group, um, is, is actually what that scripture actually says these gifts are for. Um, because I come originally from a Pentecostal tradition, which I love, um, but um, generally, uh, a lot of the gifts at that time were like, wow, you have a gift. We are so excited, you have a gift. Um, but it kind of misses something because this, this passage begins um, by saying that actually these gifts are for the service of others. So these gifts are not meant for Sunday. These gifts are meant for Monday to Saturday. Um, that, is, that is the point. And so it's not about you sitting around, it's not a personality test we're doing tonight, where you sit around and go, wow, I'm self-actualizing. <laughs> like, that is not what this is about. This is about a gift that God has given you, and the point of that gift is for you to go out and bring about the kingdom here on earth. 
So game day for us is not Sunday. Game day for us is Monday to Saturday. And Sunday is when we come together and share the stories of that. And so if you come here and the service is really bad, don't blame Rose. It's because you didn't live the gospel. <laughs> but actually, like, we only have what we bring to this place. We only have the stories of faithfully following Jesus Monday to Saturday. That's all we have to bring when we come together. And our worship, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, will be a resounding gong. Or it will be a clanging brass if we just come here and sing the songs that we have not lived those things. So it is about the service of others. Um, and it is about the growth of God's church. These gifts are for us to be built up into the body of Christ here on earth. It's to cause us to be unified. So when we realise that we do not possess every part of what it looks like to be Jesus, we realise our need for one another. You know, Mother Teresa did not represent the whole of Christ, as amazing as she was. She represented one part of Christ really, really well. You know? Martin Luther King did not represent the whole of Christ. He represented one part really, really well. And actually, we are designed to not be the full picture in and of ourselves. There is, there is no solo efforts in the kingdom of God. That actually, Jesus was so amazing that it had to be a whole collection of people to become the appearance of Jesus to the world. Um, and then finally, it says that we would attain the fullness of Christ, that together we would represent all of who Jesus is. All of who he is. So the five roles we're about to journey into again are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And the temptation might be, as I talk today about the role of apostles, you go, well, this week is not about me. Um, if that's not a sense of the spiritual gifting you have, you go, I'll just, only one of these five weeks will apply to me. I'm a pastoral person, so I'll wait for that week. Um, but actually, it's really, really important that you understand the way that your brothers and sisters are put together. So that you understand where your responsibility begins and what your part in the body of Christ is like. Um, a beautiful example of this, like Rose was just one of the most incredible people to work with and still is. Because my, my, my leading edge is apostolic prophetic, hers is pastor evangelist. And so I would be going, this is the mountain we need to climb. And she'd be going, yes, cool, Scotty, but the people can't keep up. <laughs> and we need that. We need that so much, you know. We really need that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, resist that thing that says this week is not about me, because this week is about you, because it's about the body, um, and it is, it's not about individuals. So um, we put some definitions in the um, seasonal guide, but I actually found some better ones um, <laughs> um, by this guy called Alan Hirsch. Um, so I'm going to read through these. We're going to start by looking at the whole fivefold um, and then go from there. So this is the prophet's. And I'll read it out to you. It says, This is the function tasked with maintaining an abiding loyalty and faithfulness to God above all. Essentially, prophets are guardians of the covenant relationship that God has with his people. The prophetic is also passionately concerned with living a life morally consistent with the covenant, a simple and authentic life of justice, holiness, and righteousness. The prophet proclaims God's holiness and calls for a corresponding holiness in his covenant people. Um, so prophets are often the ones who say the unpopular things. Um, Ari is a prophet, um, and uh, I got to stay with Ari's parents for four days last week. <laughs> and um, she said, um, Ari's mum, who is wonderful, Tabitha, she's so lovely. If you're ever in Invercargill, you have to go stay with Ari's parents um, and meet their dog, Bindi. Um, and um, and Ari's, uh, Ari's mum, Tabitha, says, 
Sometimes Ari says things very directly. <laughs> and I said, yes, she does. Um, and this is so the role of the prophet, is that often the prophet brings a voice of life. Do you guys not realise you're living in sin? Do any of you not realise that you have compromised the core identity of who you were meant to be? So we almost never like hearing from them, but we love you, Ari. Um, <laughs> um, the second one is the evangelist. I'm going to go through this quickly. The evangelist role involves the proclamation of the good news that is at the core of the church's message. Evangelism is therefore all about the core message and its reception in the hearts of people and cultures. As such, the evangelist is the storyteller, the all-important recruiter to the cause, the naturally infectious person who is able to enlist people into what God is doing in and through the church. Um, so, great evangelist. I met the other week with this amazing um, woman at our Brooklyn plant called Amanda. Um, and Amanda is just an evangelist through and through. When we did our Holy Spirit weekend on Zoom together, um, I, um, she wanted, you know, we had the four options, and like the number four option was you're going to like go out on the street and lay hands on strangers and things like that. And she's like, yep, that's me. And she couldn't find a partner. So I said, all right, I'll go with you. Um, and I'm saying to Amanda, hey, Amanda, I think maybe we could go into this one coffee shop. There might be someone to pray for. She's like, well, I'm not sure it's the coffee shop, so let's do all 15 businesses on the street. <laughs> and I just had a whole bunch of awkward experiences, but Amanda, like, comes out of Google response and being like, I met this guy called Philip. We prayed for three or four minutes. He thinks he might come to church on Sunday. <laughs> like, that is the evangelist. Deeply uncomfortable, but so beautiful, right? So beautiful. Um, and next we go to the pastor. This is the function and calling responsible for maintaining and developing healthy community and enriching relationships. This involves a commitment to form a saintly people, nurture spiritual maturity, maintain communal health, Defend the community against breakdown and engender loving community among the redeemed family of God. It's nice. Everyone here is like, hmm. Um, these are the people who we generally love to be around, eh? Like, even when Rose is pastoring me, and I know she's pastoring me, and I feel annoyed, I'm like, oh, it's just so good. Um, Rose is just like such a classic, like a beautiful pastor, um, and someone who um, has this ability to just listen to people and carry their stories in this really beautiful way, um, where you feel seen like God sees you. Um, it's so, so important. The next one is the teacher. This one is concerned with the mediation and appropriation of wisdom and understanding. This is the naturally philosophical type that brings comprehensive understanding of the revelation bequeathed to the church. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, it is a guiding and discerning function. In the biblical tradition, emphasis falls on wisdom and not simply on speculative philosophy. Teaching, of course, also involves integrating the intellectual and spiritual treasure of the community and encoding it in order to pass it on to others and to the next generation. And that is um, tradition, which in Latin actually literally means the handing on. Um, so I'll skip the apostle for the moment. But there is a problem that we have, because um, I'm going to come back to that. There is a problem that we have in the last hundred years of church history. And the problem we have in the last hundred years of church history is that we have been a twofold ministry. Um, and what we have elevated in our churches is the role of the pastor and the role of the teacher. Essentially because we forgot that we were meant to be the church and we decided we would start going to church. And so we thought, who would be most important for us to go to church? Well, it's the person who cares for my needs and it's the person who speaks at the front. So we became a twofold ministry and we have spent about 100 years developing pretty much only the pastors and the teachers in the church. 
Um, and so what that has created for us, the problem that's created is that we have a generation of church who thinks the role of this place is to meet their needs. That's actually not the role of the church. The church is not here to meet your emotional needs. Now, together, we need to journey into wholeness, but this place is not here to make you feel comfortable. Occasionally, someone might rub your back, but that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> that is not what we're here to do. That we're actually here to be a faithful to the people God has called us to be. And a part of that requires pastors, definitely, no doubt. Um, but that is, we, we are not, the church is not here to meet your needs. And if you think it will, you will be bitterly disappointed. And you've probably already gone through five other churches who didn't meet your needs as well. The second thing we've done um, with, with elevating the teachers, we've got a generation of church who, of church who know the stuff upstairs, but they don't know how to live it. They can tell you about mission, but they're damned if they're going to go to their work and actually admit to the people they work with that they follow Jesus. But they know what mission is. Like, oh, mission day. Yeah, 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 Jesus is fine. But they can't do it. And I know this is kind of like, this is kind of full on, eh? Um, that we have actually become a twofold ministry. And what I'm not saying here is that pastors and teachers aren't important. They're really important. Good pastoral care is really important. Good teaching is really important. But we have drastically overemphasized these things in the church. And so what, what do we do with all the evangelists, the prophets, and the apostles? Well, most of them simply aren't in the church anymore. A lot of them have left because they've been around square, uh, round peg in a square hole. So we don't like the evangelists because, you know, we're postmodern thinkers, and they say there's a way to be saved. <laughs> We don't really want to hear that. We don't want to be around someone like Amanda who's going to make us go into 15 different shops proclaiming the gospel. And what do we do with the prophet? Well, we find them abrasive and indelicate. So we, I've heard this, and um, I've heard this, you know, in church leadership circles, so they're like, they're just a really difficult person. When I hear someone say they're a really difficult person, often I'm like, I wonder if they're a prophet. Because <laughs> often our difficult people are our prophets. Um, and so we push them to side. And then what do we do with the apostles? Well, we don't even know what that is. Um, but it sounds powerful, and we definitely don't like hierarchy. So we kick them out too um, and get them as far from it as we can. So we've ended up with a church that is primarily concerned with people's needs and their knowledge. But we've lost the roles to call people beyond the walls of the church towards a life of mission and integrity. And so I'm an apostle with a prophetic edge and somehow stayed around. And the challenge for me coming in to lead Blueprint was because I could only see pastors and teachers around me in the church, my initial thought on what it was to lead a church was that I had to have five one-hour coffees every day with people and minister to their needs. And it damn near destroyed me. <laughs> like the first two were a little bit life-giving. The next three, I was screensaver zombie. Yeah. Like I just could not listen to any more pain. It's not that I don't care about people, but that I could I had only seen pastors, so I assumed that to lead a church, that is what I had to be. And it was liberating for me to discover that actually my role laid out sweet. And it doesn't mean that I can get off not caring about people. We are all called to love, we are all called to shepherd, we are all called to hold one another. We're all called to suffer together. Um, but I think for some of us, and some of you may be twigging right now that you never saw you had a role in the church before, and never thought you could have had a role in the church because it didn't fit the definition of someone who spoke up the front or someone who wanted to sit and listen deeply to people's stories. It's okay if you're not that. We all have to be loving, but it's okay if you're not that. And so looking at the Apostle this week, um, here's what, what Alan Hirsch says about it. You can put up the next one, David. 
It says in Greek, the term apostle literally means sent one. As the name itself suggests, it is the quintessentially missional ministry. It is very much a pioneering function of the church. The capacity to extend Christianity as a healthy, integrative, innovative, reproducing movement, ever expanding into new cultures. It is also a custodial ministry, a guardianship. The ministry is therefore also profoundly interested in the ongoing integrity of our core ideas. So I want to just quickly go through kind of, I guess, three ways this has looked in, in my life. Um, but I also want to look at kind of our ultimate model for an apostle, which I think is the Apostle Paul, um, and, and look, look, at, um, look at his ministry. Um, I think first up, the call of the apostle is to be a pioneer. Um, and I can remember um, a few years ago, many of you will have heard the story that our friend Cindy Urokebe came and shared with us, um, and it was in about 06, I think, um, she gave this word to me and she said, um, God has made you to be a trailer. You will pick up, you will be put on a vehicle, you will move a heavy load, and then God will pick you up and put you on another vehicle. Um, and to me, that is quintessentially apostolic, um, is to move the heavy load and then be moved again. Some other metaphors for this, Andrew Madiba talks about the apostle as the thin edge of the kingdom. So if you can imagine the closed door and the crowbar that goes into the crack and tries to pry this thing open so that others may pass through it. Now, in the ministry of Paul, you see, um, you see the Apostle Paul coming to these cultures who are deeply hostile or have an enormous misunderstanding of who the Christ is that loves them and who dies for them. And so he, he, he establishes 14 churches in his life. He moves the heavy load. And then he moves on over and over again. And there are all these moments where you can kind of hear like maybe Paul's slight pastoral guilt that he doesn't stick around for long enough. Um, he says, you know, I wish I could be with you, but I'm really busy. Like it's almost every epistle, there's a moment of Paul being like, wish I could get back to you. Just a lot going on here. Got more churches to plant. I'm so sorry. Do you know this girl named Rose? She's going to... Um, and... Um, and so really, um, there is this, this thing where he is constantly moving on and he is constantly prying open new spaces for the gospel to come in. Interestingly, it's not Paul who sticks around. It's, it's the pastors who come in. It's the teachers who come in. It's the prophets and the evangelists who come in and embed in the work um, that the apostle has done. Now, I can remember, um, I've been a blueprint for about 14, 15 years. It was about six years ago that I started leading this community. And at the time that I took this community on, Anna and I did together, um, this place was in need of a whole lot of different culture change. Um, effectively, there were about 30 to 40 people. And we, if we're honest, we had no desire to grow. Um, we were like quite happy with the 30 or 40 of us. And we were having a really lovely time together. Just a really, really nice, cosy time. Um, and... Um, and so we had kind of um, gone into this kind of stagnant state, where I remember almost every year for about three years before that, the question would be, do we keep doing this? Like, do we actually need to keep doing this, or are there just other churches that people could rock up to? And so very much the call I, I felt coming into this church was that the door needed to be pried open again um, to mission, um, and for us to return to not being about ourselves, but to being the world around us. Now, so classic of the Apostle, um, I haven't shared this story before, but about two months in, and I found this out a couple of years later, the leadership tried to go and get the old guy back, <laughs> and put him back in my role. Um, <laughs> Because there is something abrasive about the apostolic role that is trying to pry something open. And if people don't want to pry it open, then they'll do everything to hold back from that. 
Um, so this apostolic role is trying to trying to entrepreneur, trying to pioneer um, something. And so I remember Anna and I praying and going, how do we change the culture in this place? And it was so deeply embedded with these 30 or 40, we're like, there's just no way we're going to be able to give enough sermons <laughs> or, or be able to do enough to actually turn around a culture. And so the, the clear thing um, came from God, live with five of them. So we began to live with five, and we began from that place to initiate a culture change with six or seven of us that eventually radiated out, and, and now you have about 28 people living in those missional communities, and if you include second order, then about 35, 38, something like that. Um, so that is the, really the role of the apostle, is to get into that space uh, where maybe the engine has seized, um, or where there is not courage to move forward, to pry open the door, um, and to aggressively get us onto a new course. Um, which is, like, I think one of the things I've found really challenging about this is if you hear in yourself that this is maybe the um, ministry you're called to, is it's an incredibly lonely place at times. Because often nobody's quite understanding what's going on. Um, you are seeing the potential for something new that is not seen. Particularly, I think, the apostles, prophets, and the pastors can battle between each other because often um, in the apostolic overhaul, it makes people really uncomfortable. And some people get hurt in the process. And so you're upsetting this cosy culture because you see something um, further that, that needs to be done. And so then inevitably what has happened for me is here for five years and then we become a, a healthy culture together. Rose comes in, makes it healthier still. Um, and then um, God says, all right, trailer, off this vehicle, up the hill to Brooklyn, move another heavy load. And so this is the, the first function of the apostle is very much in the space of pioneering. Um, of stepping into to spaces um, that have seized up and have grown to a halt and beginning to get the gears moving again and beginning to renovate culture. The, the second role of the apostle is the protector. Um, I can remember when I was um, about year seven or eight, I was in a choir, um, and we went to Melbourne on a choir trip, which was really great. Felt like a rock star, eh? <laughs> Second soprano. Um, um, and, uh, and I can remember we were recording... Um, uh, does anyone know that show, Praise Be? So this is a show that's on Sunday mornings. I'm not sure if it's still on, on TV1. It's still going, thank you. Um, and basically what it is is it's just a whole bunch of choirs singing hymns. And, sorry? Chris Nichols. Chris Nichols. All right, Monero. Great. Wonderful. Um, so um, we were um, we were going to be on um, Praise Be, and so there was this recording of all of us intermediate kids were going to sing. Um, oh, I can't remember how great they are, or something like that. And um, it was around Christmas time, and there was a um, there was a wreath on the altar, like the Advent wreath, and it had you know the five candles in it that you light in the weeks leading up to Advent. And someone who, um, I guess, didn't have a church background um, just thought, oh, this will look great in shop, and kind of went and lit all the candles on the wreath. Um, and those of you who know, we kind of go through a, joint, a journey of like, what is it, hope, peace, faith, love towards Christmas. And so these candles are kind of significant. Um, and as a kid, I just remember being totally, totally heartbroken by that. Um, like just actually being ruined because something that was deeply special had been made trivial to be on TV. Um, and I was only like I was only like ten or eleven, but I thought I just felt like this is so so wrong. There is something about this which grates with me um, so badly. 
And it wasn't because it was an Advent wreath. Like, I don't believe there's any particular Holy Spirit power in an Advent wreath. But there's always been something in me that wants to keep the special things special and wants to protect the best of who we are. You'll often see, like, sometimes um, if we are... It probably happens here all the time now, but sometimes someone will go and put their coffee cup on the corner of the altar, and I will come down from the back and I will move it off. Not because the altar is particularly spiritual, but because the special things need to be kept special. The special things need to be kept special. So that part of the role of the apostle is to protect our unique DNA, to protect our peculiarity, to protect our holiness, to make sure that we don't lose who we are, to protect our mission from being diluted, protect our DNA from being corrupted, protect our holiness and peculiarity from becoming norm-conforming. And it's funny for me because I find that I see this in all the tiny little ways that sometimes seem pedantic. Tommy knows all about this. Um, That, like... Yeah, not not great this week. Um, But, um... But, but, um, I remember with chapter nights, you know, we'd have hospitality going on. Um, we would invite a bunch of people around to hang out, and I'd see someone on their phone, and for me, that was crushing in my heart. Not because it actually matters that one of the people who's hosting is on their phone, but because of what it says about who we are. That our desire is to love people in that space as Christ loves them, and I see someone who can't offer their attention to the stranger. And for me, that's a violation of our DNA. That's a violation of our heart, a small thing which feels like we are not being the best of who we're called to be. Does that make sense? And so sometimes it's small details, and it's not, again, it's not that candles are particularly Holy Spirit. They're just the way we express our worship. But the way we order our worship sometimes says something powerful about how we care about people, right? Um, and so for me, um, this is very much looks like, like protecting who we are. Um, every board I've ever been on, I'm always the guy who comes to a point in the conversation where if they're a Christian organisation, I'll be the one who says, hang on, are we really Christian? You're about to put another person on this board who says they don't love Jesus. Like, I'm that annoying one. who's <laughs> like, are we being true to who we say we're going to be? Um, and, um, and I think, yeah, that, that, is, that is part of the apostolic role to protect. And the apostolic ministry of Paul, um, Paul is like constantly correcting like constantly bringing correction to people. Just First Corinthians, as an example, you can grab like 10 things out of it. Um, yeah, the first chapter, he talks about that divided over leaders. He says, you guys are getting divided. Some of you are following Apollos, and some of you are following Cephas, and some of you say you're following Jesus, and some are following Paul. And he says, but Christ is not divided, so why are you divided? He can see the seeds of division, and he wants to protect what they are from the outside. Um, he sees in uh, chapter 6 that they've become taking each other, begun taking each other to court. And he jumps in there and says, what is this about, guys? We are meant to be the people of reconciliation. Why are you doing this the legal way? Yeah. Why aren't you just having a chat with one another? Sorting it out. And constantly, Paul is saying, remember, team, Jesus is the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And so this is part of the the apostolic role. Don't get corrupted. Don't get diluted. Don't lose your beautiful peculiarity. And so I think, for, for me, this has often looked like identifying and blueprint what is the secret source of this community? Like, what is the thing that is precious? What is the picture of who Christ is in the world that we are called to be faithful to? Um, and being the annoying guy who says anything that doesn't look like that, we kick to the curb. <laughs> 
um, right from the level of are we on our phones on hospitality night, um, through to do our worship songs always talk about I and me, or do they talk about we and us? Because why do a hundred of us gather together in a room and sing about me? It makes no sense to me. Sorry if you have high songs later on. <laughs> but you know, these things matter, right? And it's not about, you don't want to become pharisaic about it, but it's about protecting the uniqueness of who we are. Um, and, and this is why we have a sidefold, because we don't want everyone in the church thinking in that detail about all these things, or tear each other apart. Um, so the apostle first is the pioneer, secondly as the protector, and thirdly as the enabler. Um, when we first started our community on Cuba Street, um, is, I would have told many of you the first year of community is absolute carnage. It's just carnage. You just can't get along. Um, and, um, and you all have enormous ideals about what you're going to achieve together, and those ideals are very quickly snapped. Um, and there's much disappointment both with each other, with yourself, and what you thought was going to be before you. And I can remember um, in this time, we would often go to different people from Urban Vision, um, another mission community group, and say, hey, have you been through this? And they're like, oh, yeah, we went through that. <laughs> um, and there seems to be these kind of these, these things that all communities go through. Um, but one thing we haven't had to go through um, is back when, um, back when Justin and Jenny and Alan Marty and Celeste Curry were doing this stuff in the late 80s, early 90s, the church had absolutely no container for them. It had no way to understand what they were doing. Like, why, not, why don't you just come play in the worship band? <laughs> why can't you just attend Bible study? Why are you hanging out with all these weird people? Um, and just found that really hard. And so what we get to step into in Blueprint is like earlier this year where we got to go to the cathedral and be among 200 people who committed their lives to the missional community this year. And so it, Justin is a classic apostle. And once a year at some point, I've always sent a text to Justin and Jenny that says, Thank you for carving the path we now get to walk in. And this is, is what the apostle does, is that they enable a path for others to walk in, is create a space for others to walk in. The job of the apostle is to enable the pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets to be fully free to be who they are and to create a culture they can thrive in. Um, as much as I say that the, the apostolic is is not pastoral. It's interesting how pastoral Paul actually is when he needs to be. I love his relationship with Timothy. Um, it's really beautiful. He says, um, he says in 1 Timothy, he starts with, to Timothy, my dear son, writing to this other church finder, this other one who's trying to work out how to do things, my dear son. He says it again later on at the end of the letter. He says, Timothy, my dear son in the faith. And he's long away, but he has this deep care for Timothy, this young leader. And he encourages him along the way, that classic 2 Timothy 4 verse 12, don't let folks look down on you because you're young. And he encourages along, he enables him in the way. He talks to him about the issues that Timothy keeps coming up against. In both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, um, one of the big issues that keeps coming up is there's a bunch of false teachers around. So Paul is advising Timothy on, on, how, on how to deal with this. And so there's this enabling thing. And I kind of really um, I really relate to this because I think um, in the time that, um, that I've met both in Zeal and in Blueprint have been very aware that there are always people um, who are like my dear son <laughs> who I am desperate to thrive in their calling um, and desperate to enable them to do more than I will ever do. 
Um, and I'm always whispering in people's ears about different people. Um, and I find I can't even help this. This is such an apostolic thing. I'm sorry, I'm meddling with your lives. You don't your own. You make a good worship leader one day. But you know, like I like, I get in the ear of Hamish, and I'm like, Hamish, you reckon Jess could be a worship leader? It's like, Jess, come, come lead. Um, or I get in the ear of Jenna and go like, hey, do you reckon Esme Oliver could be a youth worker? Um, and just find myself constantly in this enabling role of connecting, um, connecting the dots for folks. So the apostle is firstly a pioneer, secondly a protector, and thirdly an enabler. And so I'm, I'm going to wrap up in a second, but one final thing. I think something we need to remember with these different um, gifts of the Spirit is that they are, just not pers- they are not just personality traits, even though personality traits may accompany them. Now, your strengths finder might match up with your fivefold. Your Enneagram might match up with your fivefold, but that is not what this is. These are gifts given by God. And when we receive these gifts, it's because we move in the authority of God and the gift that we have. So um, to the pastor, a spiritual authority has been given to be with people as Jesus is with people. So that when people are being pastored by them, they have a sense that they are sitting in the same love and attention of Christ. That's a powerful way. So to the teacher, the spiritual authority... To teach in that way, you know, when Jesus was only 12 and they left him behind in town, these teachers are like, how do you know all this stuff? Like, that's the authority that the teacher is welcomed into, is to speak the truth and the wisdom of Christ. To the evangelist, the spiritual authority to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed, in the way that Jesus did. Like, I think about that time where the Israelites were so deeply oppressed under Roman rule, and someone came bringing something they actually believed could be good news. How amazing must that have been? That is the spiritual authority the evangelist gets to roll in. It's actually roll into spaces and people are like, I recognize that as the liberating truth of the universe. That's cool, eh? It's not just your voice. With all these things, it's not just you, but it's the spiritual authority of Christ within you. And to the prophet, the spiritual authority to turn over the tables in the temple like Jesus did. And I think with the prophet, something we need to reawaken is we've we've done to death the supernatural prophetic, which is great. They're like, I'll give you a word. But we need to revive the social prophetic that flips the tables. We need to revive the, the guts of the prophetic. It is a pain in the ass to the system and the status quo in the name of Jesus. And so that is what, the, that is what the, the prophet is doing, the spiritual authority to turn over the tables. And so for the apostle, it is the spiritual authority to enable these gifts in the people of God, um, is to bless those gifts and to create space for those gifts to happen in the same way that Christ drew a crew around him and enabled them into a calling which they would live even unto death. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the role of the apostle. And so we all have really special roles, eh? And I think we really lose something if we start making it about personality traits. Because we're not talking about us, we're talking about Christ in us, and that power being released in each of us to transform the world. It's really exciting. So one of the things that um, often happens 
in the New Testament, um, particularly in Acts 6, is that um, as people felt a sense of calling, the apostles would lay hands and bless people um, to go out into that. Um, and so I will pray in a moment, but what I would love to invite you to um, is I'm just going to go and grab a little spot over um, by the cross there. And if there is a sense, as you hear some of this, you're like, you know what, I think like, I think God has called me into a pastoral ministry, or I think God has called me into a teaching ministry. just want to anoint you with oil and bless that over you. And maybe as we find some more apostles in the corner, they can bless it over you too. And we'll just, we're just going gonna to bless you to step into the gift and the calling that you have on your life. Is that cool? Okay, cool. Can I get um, worship team up here? Yeah. There's only us and we songs, all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>